0: Okay, you ready?
1: Yes, I'm born ready.
0: I said nothing. <laughs> you were the one who laughed. I said nothing.
1: You just gave me that look.
0: Welcome once again to so It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J.
1: Hello, Josephine. How are you in time period that we are recording in?
0: Uh, I'm that tone. As- <laughs> yeah. I am doing fine, she said in her most talk show Type way. How are you doing in in <laughs> time period, Jay?
1: I'm doing okay, dying from hay fever, so my voice will go all over the show. I am doing too much, trying to do more than I should. Should I introduce myself to the listener who may not have heard this before, and also the listener who hears this every time period that we put one out and starts doing the comparisons to see whether I hit the same notes every time? Hey, I'm Dr. Jay. I Represent the self-defining future. I got to give myself the job title "Habender of Change" thanks to ThoughtWorks, the software consultancy where I work. They allowed me to give myself a job title, and I chose Harbinger of Change," and that is official. I also got to give myself the gender transgressive, non-binary gender queer because self-ID is the future. Thank you to the New Zealand government who allowed me to do that, and that is now official and upon my passport. So I wish to state that on your forms. So if you do allow me to write agenda on your forms, make sure that it's long enough, please. I've run into two forms recently where I had to come up with a summarized version because they wouldn't allow me to express all of my gender, only some of it. Oh, if you couldn't tell, I'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. So Josephine, would you care to introduce yourself to the lovely listener?
0: Uh, I would always care to do such a thing. My name is Josephine Baird. I'm an activist, artist and academic. I used to like to make a spectacle of myself on the stage by being an actor of some kind, uh, which I've been doing less of of late in an artistic sense. However, I do like to make a spectacle of myself by drawing funny pictures of queer people and putting them on the internet, which you can find on my social medias. And I also happen to be a lecturer in game design at the University of Uppsala Department of Game Design. Funnily enough, I also like to think of myself as a Femme of international mystery, because it sounds cool. And I said, yeah. You are cool. I think, oh, really?
1: Excellent. <laughs> I never said that I was cool.
0: Then how do you I know if I'm cool? <laughs> no.
1: Because I believe you're cool. I've believed you're cool since the moment I first saw you on stage. I was like, wow, who is this person?
0: Oh, thank you very much. And it's funny, I've been missing being on stage recently. It's really weird. I don't know why. Some things have come up, and I've been, you know, we've been talking with different people, and just finding myself like, oh, that'd be nice. Maybe I should do that again. Anyway, what uh, what should we talk about today, Doctor Jane? Ooh, see how that rhymed.
1: That did rhyme. I think we agreed to talk about etiquette, which was kind of and politeness and things like that. It's one of those things of what is queer etiquette. How have things changed in the realms of COVID? And how do you do etiquette as a queer? Because etiquette is also tied into notions of class and propriety and things like that. So how do people read my politeness? If you walk in and are polite but firm, firmly stating your needs or your boundaries, some people still read that as being impolite because you're rubbing up against their boundaries. You're rubbing up against their notions of what should happen within the space. How you're read, how your gender is read, how your class is read, how your accent is read, how your status is read depends on how people will react to you doing things that other people in the room may do. But you might be read as being aggressive when you're stating something when on somebody else, the same tone, the same voice and setting the same boundary would be read as just being assertive or maybe even just a statement without any kind of adjective attached to it.
0: It comes up in so many different ways. This notion of etiquette and politeness and civility I say it in that way because that's how it was introduced to me in a posh British accent (laughs) when I went to school in England. I had the very strange experience, I suppose, of growing up in a different country to begin with, for the first 10 years of my life and then coming to England and experiencing this kind of culture shock of what is, don't get me wrong, I go to my parents as well, you know, partly British, but, you know, coming into a culture that seemed to value very highly, this notion of politeness and etiquette and propriety and, and getting taught that at an early age and, realizing not only inconsistency of that but also the hypocrisy of it all this notion that propriety and civility was supposed to somehow elevate discourse or allow for more freedom of discussion or more respect between people at the same time as there was the very clear indication that people were to be considered unequally that there was spectacular difference in the ways in which people were treated based upon nothing to do with how they expressed themselves and everything to do with presumptions of who they were. And so I have this really odd rejection of a notion of, of etiquette and manners and propriety as just as a sort of impulse coming from that background and being like so brutally <laughs> in it by a system that really just uses it to cover up all kinds of problematic behavior, which is actually oxymoronic to the very definition of what those forms of manners and etiquette is supposed to espouse. It's really, that's where I come from, from it. And having said that, coming into a queer environment when I was much younger than I am now, but into a queer environment after that indoctrination in finding a whole different set of as Jay alluded to different forms of being different ways of being different mannerisms different notions of what is and isn't respectful experiencing that and feeling like that was much closer to what I felt was my intrinsic sense of of how we should treat each other as people and still finding that these communities suffer from significant problems and are you know (laughs) we're not perfect by any means and then What I find particularly difficult in queer communities is when those behavior structures are used to hide even more inequalities, if that makes sense. But I do like the attempt to try and create systems that allow for respectful communication and a understanding of equality and giving people the opportunity to converse, to connect, to be intimate, to be close, to be angry, to be sad to be however they are in a way that allows everyone else to do the same, which is what I think etiquette and respect should allow. But unfortunately my early examples of that kind of did the opposite. So it's complicated, Jay, in my Wow.
1: Head. Is it really?
0: Yes, it is I really. mean,
1: think about where I gained my understanding of etiquette and one of the ways that I found to slip under the radar as a hidden queer child was to be seen as the child who has the perfect manners. If I was praised for my manners by the adults, no one would be looking twice at me. It meant that I effectively not quite had an invisibility cloak, but as long as I was polite, people wouldn't question what I was thinking. People wouldn't question that I was reading books that were well and truly advanced for my age, and looking at notions and ideas. And I think I read my way through the etiquette section in the Papakura Public Library. And the Papakura Public Library is not a large library, so its etiquette section I think was about six books, most of which were from the 1930s. And so I grew up with an understanding of how much one should tip one's undermaid when you were visiting a country house which I think was something in the realm of so many shillings. I didn't even understand the currency that they were working in, but I could remember these strange. And I thought if I could decipher this stuff, that would help me continue to stay hidden and people would. Because I had this notion that if you had the right etiquette, you could get away with anything. Or not so much get away with anything, but you could be anything. Because Noel Coward and that kind of style was the only style of queer that I could even start to see being around, which was somebody who obviously understood the rules and played within the rules. So all I had to do to figure out how to be queer was to understand the rules right. But one of the things that I think stayed with me from all of that, ridiculous amounts of of knowledge about etiquette was that the best etiquette is the one that put people at their ease. The etiquette that was correct was always, what's the thing that allows everyone in the room to be comfortable? What's the thing that allows the person who's come into a new situation to feel comfortable? And there's a lot of talk around people trying to drink from the finger bowls and things like that. And the hostess basically not calling out the behavior as being aberrant, but reflecting the behavior and... Not so much making light of it, but kind of doing it in a way that made the person who'd made the mistake, who'd fallen outside of the boundaries of etiquette to also feel comfortable. Then I came to the UK. So I grew up in a space where etiquette, New Zealand has a very different style of speaking, of interacting with people. Very casual, you don't use sir and madam, mate is used way more often. These days, probably friend, because that's much less gendered even than mate. But there's all of these notions that almost had to be relearned when I came to the UK. And the politeness here is also very class driven. So my natural level of politeness was seen as an indicator of somebody who was very middle class. And I'm like, I'm not, but it's kind of weird that you think that I am right now. And it's kind of working your way through that and understanding that weird level of how British people see politeness is very weird and how you're read for being polite can sometimes run against how your gender, your sexuality, your queerness is being read.
0: I think of it almost like masking, you know, in the sense of like neuro non-normativity like because I am so you know I can say this literally is a sense of like I was learning these things in order to pass as normative because you can hide certain things by learning these languages by learning these codes by learning this cipher you can pass yourself much like you were saying you could pass yourself in certain environments to a certain degree you can play with people's expectations if you can learn these rules very well you can even subvert those expectations on occasion but the system is designed to not allow for that subversion, really. It's it's a system that is designed to codify certain behavior as normal and proper and correct and certain is not. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, of course, is it makes certain people right and certain people wrong by definition. And that's the difficulty of it is that to some degree we can learn it. To some degree, some of it could even actually be salvaged. So, for example, I think please and thank you (laughs) and hello and how are you are notions of politeness in british parlance that i think could be maintained because they're kind of nice right they they are suggestions of interest and kindness rather than necessarily of class differentiality although again if one were to take these things to their roots and their literal function they are absolutely but when as a kid i was learning these things i was learning them because i was learning them to try and fit in simply to be seen as normative and yet i knew (laughs) <laughs> really really profoundly that i wasn't and so i was learning these things in order to try and fit in and it was very unsuccessful by the way really really bad yeah, at uh, until it became an acting thing and then weirdly enough i've become quite good at it but i don't like doing it and i find myself rubbing up against it a lot especially british forms of etiquette and propriety unless i'm doing it performatively and quite literally for fun and where everybody else knows that they're doing it too and even then it feels like I need to be particularly queer about it so several of my performance characters for example are incredibly proper and polite and dress correctly and speak properly eh? and so forth Hmm? yes what, what I, mean. what,
1: I like the bit there you say about doing it performatively and subverting it. I do that with one of my good friends. Whenever we meet, it's like we address each other very formally by our titles. That's Dr. Harrison, and I presume, and we act as if we've never met each other. We've known each other since we were 18. We've been through marriages, divorces, deaths, all kind of things amongst our friends and our family and things like that, and yet when we meet we still do this incredibly formal kind of dance and I used to do the same with my dad at one point we used to do this little kind of call and response thing but we would do that and one of the things that I realized is doing those things when you do them in that kind of performative knowing silly manner is sometimes saying the stuff that you can't say like my dad and I could never say, I love you and I've missed you, but we could do this funny sing-song response to each other. It's the same with when I see my friend. We don't get to see each other. I think about every two or three years. We get to be in the same city and get to have a brunch or something together. Yeah, whenever we meet, we start off in the same manner, which is almost effectively resetting us again into we are friends, we are almost family. We have this kind of weird notion of language between us and we will play on the expectations of the people around us who are listening into this conversation, who are seeing these two people obviously in great delight at seeing each other by doing this very performative. Dr. Harrison, I presume. (laughs) I think it's
0: lovely. I mean, that's the thing is that, yeah, I get that. And to some degree, I, I guess I met Effie through some of that interest in playing with those rituals and that's the thing is it's a ritual it's a function if we think of like mannerisms and cultural codes and rituals they have their function they have their social psychological function they have a way of expressing connection of intimacy of and respect is a word I find really difficult as well Mm -hmm. because here's a word that was used in a way that I found really really problematic as a child right the notion that of showing respect or being respectful to people who I honestly felt didn't really deserve it in the way that they thought they did and for the reasons they thought they did. Whereas now as an adult, I really find the notion of respect, respecting other people's agency, respecting other people's right to being who they are and respecting their (laughs) right to live without being impeded or assaulted in an institutional or personal way on a regular basis. So respect as a notion... And showing that respect and that kindness, which is supposedly what etiquette and mannerisms in the traditional British way are for, I actually do want to have that in perhaps a linguistic shorthand, or even in a way of being, way of presenting oneself, or whatever. I want that to exist but for the reason it was supposed to exist in the first place, rather than the way that it is now. So knowing which fork to devour whatever food that's been shoved in front of me is not of importance to me, but being able to say to another human being, I see you, I respect your right to be here. And I care about our connection mm-hmm. is a ritual I find incredibly important to perform. So I always think about like, queer things that we had you know i mean unfortunately i haven't been in the same place as other queer people for some time it's very difficult period especially during COVID. which if i were an academic which i am one could do a study on such things if one wasn't so busy one could do a study on the ways in which cultures and rituals and etiquette has changed according to the pandemic because it most certainly has but in queer terms like the things that I do like I would use the word darling liberally in queer environments 20 years ago because that's just how everybody around me was expressing kindness hello darling how are you but I also appreciate that that's perhaps not the way most people want to be addressed especially in cis environments because it might be seen as I don't know diminutive it might even mean calling to someone's gender which I don't want to do so I've limited my use thereof I know there are terms that are used in particular queer circles that I'm in that are used that would be considered extremely progerative in other circles so I'm wondering hey bitch much, what's up hey bitch what's up <laughs> all right slag
1: <laughs> yeah like
0: and I'm like yeah I love it because I'm you know I'm someone who finds traditional notions of sex and sexuality extremely problematic when it comes to traditional sexuality I particularly hate words that are used for women to somehow be derogatory towards their sexuality so when someone says you're right slag to me (laughs) I I giggle and go yeah you're right I don't like to use it myself just because personally I found that word difficult when it's been used in the environments I've been in but when another queer person says it to me in the way that they do in the circles that we run in I take it as the term of respectful endearment that I know they (laughs) need it as and I would certainly see it that way whereas I know other people might not so I wouldn't use it in those contexts so it is contextual
1: absolutely and I think I use the word lovely to address everybody whether it's the person who's bringing me mail it's the person who I'm meeting in the store at the end of the road or the person who's bringing me coffee or whatever is going on hello lovely how are you today can I get this please and usually I get what I want because lately <laughs> super it's,
0: villain way of saying it, but I know what you mean,
1: <laughs> but I'm not a super villain. I'm just no, wondering. I'm Hello, lovely. Hello, lovely. How are you today? And i just in asking, hello, lovely. How are you today?
0: Yeah, I've but, shown
1: yeah. respect and interest in the person.
0: Lovely is an interesting term of endearment, or even title, if you will, because that's the thing, right? You know, somebody in a in a store saying, "What can I get you, dear sir or madam?" You know, <laughs> yeah. If they said, "What can I get you, lovely?" It's a term that's slightly unusual because it's not used in common parlance, but it's very clear what you mean by it. It's non-gendered. It's of it functions in all the ways that you want it to do. So by repeating it, which you have done in smaller social circles or even larger social circles i've noticed that people around you dr jay started using it and it becomes <laughs> a habit then it becomes tradition then it becomes etiquette in this case i think it's a really interesting way of approaching it and i would consider a positive engagement with this notion of what is etiquette i mean the thing is that it comes across so often in british And we're using this example as opposed to anywhere else. I mean, if I used a switch example, it'd be slightly different. And obviously there are huge cultural differences in terms of like what is considered polite, depending on where you are. In this case, I think it's a really good example because it's something that Jane and I both know, but also it's particularly obvious to use the British example. And the focus on things like titles and pronouns in English culture, especially, means that finding alternatives for that, is really important but I as I said I still am keen to continue to show respect
1: I know that there are trans people within the binary who find it incredibly validating to be called sir who talk about their almost trans euphoria of the first time when they're called sir in a shop for me it's much more of when I'm called sir it's kind of a bit of an annoyance because it means that I've slipped between the cracks under the radar and I'm like I need to be more louder and more flamboyant but I know there are for other people, for their subjectivity, there is a wonderful validation when they are read as sir, when they are called sir, when they enter that kind of liminal space between the genders where you start to fall into the default of being called sir rather than madam. For me, it's an annoyance when I fall into that, but I know for some people it is a huge validation. I would like there to be something that people could use that allows people to do that whole sir, madam, whatever, because you can see it going on inside their head. You can see people looking at me and trying to figure out what to use and feeling very flummoxed. And I wish there was a very easy third option that people could use when they're unsure somebody suggested using captain but as somebody who is a pacifist I find that quite difficult because it is so linked into the military and the whole military industrial complex but captain lieutenant and there's a number of other brigadier are titles reverend reverend would kind of work apart from it ties into the whole religious-industrial complex, which, again, I also have issues with. Because, you know, dear God, if there's a notion of complex, yes, of course I have issues with it. But they're
0: all complex, in the sense of, like, they're all a-complex, and they're also complicated, so they're both things at the same time, which makes it really Mm -hmm. weird. But even sir and madam, their power dynamics, there's this presumption. This is the thing. For me, sir and madam, or ma'am, or mom, depending on who you're talking to, I mean, there's an immediate personal shiver in me because of, again, personal history with those terminologies, because it's not just a term of, hi, I see you and I respect you as an equal human being. No, I see you and I'm presenting a form of respect that puts me in a position that's subordinate to you, because the literal meaning of those terms, especially historically and even continuously, as though some people might argue differently, it's a power dynamic. So all of these terms, all of them will always contain an element of power. You'd have to have a literal alternative that didn't contain that or, in the queerest sense of the word, could be subverted to mean that. Lovely. So, lovely. No, I think lovely is the way to go. But the thing is.
1: There might the, be some people who are not lovely. Hello person. hello, person. Hello, friend. Or hello. Hello, person. Hello, friend. Those often get used with me of people will just go, all right. If there's a deformalization. So,
0: for example, there are certain countries, the one I'm currently in, where they've literally gone ahead and deformalized the language. So, for example, in German, there's still very much the informal and the formal of saying you, the word you. It depends on which word you use for the word you, it means you're either being informal with someone or you're being formal with someone. In Swedish, there used to be that distinction too, but there was a very conscious attempt to take it away. So, it's not there anymore. So those kinds of interactions are informal. You can still see um, shades of it. And there was something of a weird movement a couple of years ago where they were trying to bring it back. So this is the problem with these terms. So yes, I can see how a trans person, especially, and I would include myself in this, when you've been correctly gendered, used the correct, so to speak, title with, and yet still contains this really weird power dynamic,
1: I think there's one part we have still to touch on, though, which is the way that COVID has changed some of this. Because I think there's something around the way that the queers think about mask wearing and testing and safety that seems to be different, that is sometimes missing from the mainstream the queers that, that I've seen, everyone seems to be totally comfortable with testing. When I've met queers in the street, they've been like, I've got my face mask on. I tested negative yesterday. Are you happy to hug? Or would you just like to wave? And I think there's a real sense of community safety. And maybe I'm being idealistic and you know, we could talk about the fact that I am idealistic, but it's a practice that we were comfortable with anyway.
0: I mean, there's lots to unpack there. One, you could sort of say, we could talk about when these things go wrong. And perhaps that is a topic for another podcast, because I definitely would be interested in talking about what happens to communities that are based on these principles and when those principles break down, how do those communities react to that? Because that's certainly something I'm interested in and I know hasn't always gone well. It's a difficult topic that I'm willing to tackle at some point. But I also appreciate the value of having a conversation about something that could be seen as idealistic or even best practice or something that you would think of here's a good thing I want to talk about personally I'm really inspired by conversations of gender euphoria right now in part because I always have been but also because uh, I'm reading Laura K Dale's book about that at the moment or uh, her edited collection of stories by Nonsense! people talk about euphoric moments because it's a moment of hope and a projection forward of what we should be basing these things on because I think etiquette is based on this notion of these are our principles and this is how we should enact them and what you just described to me is a community attempting to enact those principles in a way that codifies them demonstrates them to each other and presents them as a way of normalizing an experience now, what I saw right at the beginning of the pandemic, I wish I remember who tweeted this, I think it was a tweet, as opposed to anything else, was about a person discussing pandemic processes that were happening in terms of their experiences of being queer during the HIV AIDS crisis coming out in the 80s. And they were saying, you know, their community there was very used to practicing certain safer practices, because they were used to having to deal with this. and. Like, hey, we know what we're doing here. We can do this and be respectful to each other. Could you please do the same thing? Because of their ability to have codified that. And I'm thinking of queer communities in London where same thing goes, safer sex practices mm. were discussed in certain ways because we had to do that. There are certain things that we've codified into practice because of our experience that meant that doing some in the pandemic was easier. And one of those is, like you say, finding different terms of endearment, finding different ways to display intimacy, finding ways to break the norm. Because that's, I think, one of the difficulties that people have had in the pandemic is to consider the possibility that there is an alternative way of being. And that's the problem with normative societies, because you presume you're the norm. You don't consider the possibility that you could do something differently and still maintain a sense of principle that you believe is supposed to be held sacred. So for example, accessibility suddenly becomes possible in a pandemic, whereas people who have had access needs Mm. have been saying for decades that this is how things should be done. It's the same idea, right? This idea of being outside of the norm means that you probably are more capable of imagining a difference, and therefore we can create other ways of doing these things. So a word like lovely, as opposed to sir and madam, or shall I give you a wave as opposed to an embrace or a hearty handshake
1: but also being clear with that conversation of I was trying to teach people high five handshake or hug prior to the pandemic and people couldn't get that they didn't have to offer the hug if you're not comfortable hugging the person you can say high five or handshake there's no shame in indicating there is a boundary between me and this person so I'll do a high five or a handshake and now with the pandemic I see people kind of having those conversations outside I met somebody I went to the theater the other day I saw Death Drop by the way and if you get a chance to see it please do it's very good Drag Panto does Agatha Christie but I met somebody who's a cis gay man from the community that we know and we were kind of paused as to what we should do and I said look I've just washed my hands I've got a mask on handshake and he was like yeah sounds perfectly fine because we were able to talk about where we were and offer up an option and in a way that enabled consent that didn't force an option on somebody didn't push somebody into a corner where they would feel impolite because he could have still said actually I'm minimizing my contact and it is so lovely to see you, and kind of do an elbow bump. It's setting up those conversations in ways that we haven't previously. There's always been that expectation of, if you see somebody, you will be okay giving them a hug because you're in a queer space. If you're in a space where that's not comfortable for you, that can feel very difficult to turn around. If there's not that language to say to somebody, actually, I'm at this stage today. Can we just do a handshake or can we just do a wave? And it's allowing those differences to be discussed consensually in a way that doesn't feel threatening for somebody, that doesn't make somebody feel stink for turning somebody down.
0: I mean, this is conversations I've had with people who are neuro-nononative who might not want to have physical contact, just in general with anyone, mm. and including eye contact, let alone, you know, that much. And it's about extracting a notion of what is respectful kind from notions of normativity and or prescribed singular identity. That we can be kind to another human being without necessarily knowing their gender first and knowing how one does that to a lady or a gentleman, for example, Mm -hmm. that one can greet someone kindly simply with an acknowledgement that doesn't necessarily involve physical intimacy, if you're not for for whatever reason. We can express gratitude or even a willingness to help or give or serve without having to enact some sort of performative power dynamic. Jay is doing a fabulous flourish of a bow right now. Exactly. Unless that's the thing you're into and that's your thing. And then, you know, negotiate that relationship, baby. The notion of extracting the purpose from the prescribed Activity from a certain embodied person. So it's like just because you are one way does not mean that you have to behave a singular way in order to communicate something. However, being aware that you can perform these kinds of rituals in a positive, non power laden, prescribed way is both possible and exciting and good manners.
1: Hmm. So it's not actually that complicated. Be kind, be respectful, and use lovely
0: yeah call cool people lovely <laughs> unless of course that is an issue in your particular environment in which case choose something else
1: hello person hello fellow human
0: it's yeah. from good
1: omens that's it hello yes. fellow human i wish to purchase one of these books i like pornography i am really into <laughs> pornography so we need to go into your back room to discuss the pornography that i shall purchase it's gabrielle and um oh, i can't remember his name in Aziraphale's shop. God, I'm such a geek. That was my little... Oh, are kidding? Omens. I love that
0: book. I love Good Omens. Dear listener, Good Omens is a story TV show book that was written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman and is possibly my favourite fiction book of all time and is an excellent example of etiquette in that there is a wonderful moment where Aziraphale, who is an angel, is having discourse with Crowley who's he a, a principal
1: as your yes. fellow is a principality. Okay. Sorry. My apologies. No,
0: no, no. P- pedantry. Um, no pedantry. <laughs> pedantry is allowed. Pedantry is allowed. Encouraged. He's the scene of perfect etiquette. <laughs> as he Raphael says to Crowley, get behind me, demon, and then opens the door and goes, after you. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's in the TV show. It's really good. It's like two seconds like I wonder if aziraphale might be an excellent example of a queer engagement with etiquette and manners because here's a person who's doing all the things that they were effectively told and yet struggles tremendously with the received wisdom and has to go against those rules in order to do what he believes is right to show kindness and respect and does that on many occasions throughout that book in a really wonderful way. And yet is this product of proprietary, and this is how it is supposed to be done. The rule, the ineffability, no less, is his guide. And I think maybe he might be a really good example of that attempt to deal with that.
1: So should we discuss Fail next time? No, uh, we should, we...
0: because he's excellent.
1: Or should we get on to the, the breathtakingness of Keanu Reeves? there is now a part of me that's now completely torn do i continue discussing the breathtaking being that is keanu reeves or do we start to discuss the queer notions of azuraphale and then even start to get into the notions of whether azuraphale and crowley's relationship is not just coded as queer but coded as queer between two beings that are non-binary i think the answer
0: to that is yes and so therefore it doesn't require much discussion (laughs) Except for it requires endless discussion because it's so lovely to talk about and think about. Oh, absolutely! About and draw occasionally, which I have done.
1: <laughs> which one, Keanu Reeves or Azura Fallon Crowley?
0: Well, I haven't drawn that much Keanu Reeves. In fact, I don't believe I have ever. But I have drawn Azura Felon Crowley.
1: This shows a deficit in your artistic practice that you have not drawn. You have not tackled the breathtakingness that is Keanu Reeves.
0: Can one do such a thing? And that is the question we
1: should reserve (laughs) for next
0: time (laughs) thank you so much for joining us once again if you're interested in supporting the podcast please consider going to our patreon patreon.com slash it is complicated all the money that we collect there goes to paying for guests to come on and join us we like to talk to queer people who have interesting things to say about many complicated topics so if you'd be interested in helping us pay for those guests to come on please do otherwise carry on listening to us either way And we hope you'll join us next time to talk about whether or not one could ever capture the breathtaking qualities of Keanu Reeves in mere pictorial form.
1: Does that sound about right? It does sound about right. I was going to say, and for those people who are supporting us on our Patreon, I have a funny little project that I'm running on the side that you might get some sneak previews of. So I'm going to share some stuff with you and see what you think and get some feedback which would be wonderful very exciting look forward to it
0: look forward to it thank you everyone once again look forward to joining you again at some point in the near future dear dr j see doctor is a good one because i can use doctor that way but then right that's anyway moving on we talked about this hi bye